Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Thursday. We got some ball to talk about on this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We want to talk about a loaded weekend for all things DFS and also go over some player props from the prop prophet himself. None other than BFF Zone, Andrew Erickson. Andrew, happy wildcard weekend, man. Happy wildcard weekend. I tried to get a little wild with my lunch today. I had a uh, frozen burrito, and I, I'll just say that it's probably the, you know, the first time dabbling into the frozen food aisle of the burritos, and it's probably going to be my last, honestly. It <laughs> did not taste <laughs> nearly as good as it looked like on the bag. You're like, oh, man, this looks like the most amazing thing. You know, I get into it, and it really tasted kind of like cardboard. <laughs> it, was, it was not good. So uh, count me out on frozen burritos, but in on wildcard weekend. That's a nice wild card. My wild card was active water bursting through my apartment ceiling mid episode. And then my apartment complex, the lovely Drexel at Oakley on Paxton Avenue in Cincinnati, Ohio, telling me that, you know, that's tough luck. They don't do discounts. They're going to try to fix the problem eventually. So any of you Cincinnatians looking to move into a Drexel at Oakley, let me be the first to tell you, please save yourself because you could not pick a worse place to live. So with that off my chest, Andrew, let's talk some goodness with the DFS. Now we have slates all over the place. You know, you can do your Saturday through Monday. You can do individual two games, your three gamer on Sunday. It really is, you know, dealer's choice in terms of what you want to do. So we're not going to do quite as traditional of an episode where we go through cash and turn because again, there are so many different slates to go through. So more than anything, Andrew, I tried to pick four kind of key takeaways I've been able to gather uh, throughout my research all during the week. And I know you have uh, some specific plays that you're looking to get into as well and then again as always we'll finish it off with some player problem goodness but getting after it first man i think the big first the first thing i know is really looking at these lineups we don't need a ton of salary saving choice because all the running backs got priced down a good amount as it is. And I mean, other than Cooper Cup, you don't have to pay up that much for wide receivers. All the 49ers seemingly got discounts. But Zay Jones at 4,200, man, he just seems like the cheap wide receiver that if you're looking to get your five catches, you know, can't can't have a goose egg, but we just need to save some salary here. Maybe we get a little bit of upside too. I don't see how it can't be Zay Jones at 4,200. Again, five receptions in five consecutive games. And he's been getting a lot of the air yards. Hasn't necessarily been coming down with them, but like Again, based on the Bengals, probably being able to play with a lead if their you know status as five and a half point favorites means anything. You would expect Zay Jones, even with Waller back in the picture, to continue to really dominate a lot of those outside targets. There are some other cheap options, though. We got Tyler Johnson sitting pretty 13 targets over the last two weeks. It, it annoyed me, Andrew, because like I was all in on Tyler Johnson the first week after Godwin was out when he goose eggs, and then he actually starts getting the usage that you know we were kind of expecting uh, uh, t- from the beginning over the past two weeks. So Tyler is back on the come up. Just make sure you keep an eye on that Tampa weather. We also note that last week with Tyreek Hill banged up, it was Miko Hardman, 83% snaps, Byron Pringle, 71% snaps, and Demarcus Robinson, 53%. So Miko or Byron are probably your two best starts there. Jawan Jennings at 3.8K. I see the allure. Keep an eye on Mohamed Sanu, though. They opened up his practice window in week 18. He was their starting slot before he got injured. I think Jennings has played very well with his opportunities, but, you know, come on. It's Kyle Shanahan. We know that this guy has 
player personnel choices that maybe we don't exactly see coming. So if we do see Muhammad Sanu activated, it at a minimum could be like a situation, you know, in Buffalo where we have McKenzie and Beasley kind of splitting reps in the slot, something I'd probably expect in San Fran. Ray-Ray McLeod, yes, he is number three in Pittsburgh, unless Juju Smith-Schuster comes back into action, so keep an eye on that. I think Brian Edwards and Antoine Wesley, out of all these guys, are probably my next two favorite darts behind Zay Jones. Edwards, always a threat for three to five targets, uh, you know, in this offense, but he will be playing across from Zay Jones. And again, it's just a situation where if we had to really take um, any quarterback to lead the way in pass attempts based on negative game script, I think Carr is probably that guy, pal. Antoine Wesley starting three wide receiver sets uh, and cheaper than Rondale Moore for some reason, even though Rondale has not been starting or even playing over the past few weeks. And then finally, I think the single cheapest receiver you could go down to is Nelson Aguilar. Maybe the Patriots lean on two wide receiver sets. It's always tough to kind of tell where targets are going to come from, but just the discrepancy in price, I think, between Aguilar born to Kobe Myers, I don't think it's quite warranted. So, Andrew, thoughts on kind of the cheap wide receivers in general, uh, and feel free to go wherever you want with it. God, I, I cannot handle coaches playing these dusty veterans over these young <laughs> players that continue just like getting they get on the field. All they do is catch touchdowns and they make big plays. And the coach is like, nah, man, we got to get this. The, the Gabriel third. Davis story. That's what you're trying Gabriel to say. Gabriel Davis. <laughs> you know, is balling out, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is coming back. So it's like, I don't even know. Like I would love to come on here and say like, yeah, no, Davis is still going to, you know, lead the team in routes run as he's done the last two weeks, but that's probably not going to happen. Like it's probably going to be Emmanuel Sanders. And he's going to be out there running wind sprints and it's going to be freezing out. You know, that does nobody any good. Like this game in Buffalo is going to be so cold that you want, you know, if I was a wide receiver, I would want to be playing and running as many routes as humanly possible just so I can stay warm and not necessarily am sitting on the sideline. So any type of rotation they do, I don't think is actually smart. Like they should, you know, have the same guys in there the entire time. So yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, we could lose Jennings who has quietly been, you know, really productive yeah. for the 49ers, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. You know, he has a 16% target share, five targets per game over the last five weeks, his three receiving touchdowns and his target rate per route run 24% is actually the same as Debo Samuel. So over the last four weeks, so he's getting hyper-targeted, which I like. So even though he's running fewer routes, I mean, you know, the difference between him and like Ayuk is not that much. So, you know, I'm not really high on Ayuk this week. I'd rather just, you know, play for Jennings. I think that you'll probably end up getting, you know, similar production from the two guys, yeah. um, except that the prices is so much better with Jennings if there is indeed no Mohamed Sanu. I think McLeod makes sense as like a punt play just because he fits the role of, okay, Big Ben's going to throw the ball 50 times. They're going to be down. He check downs. Ray Ray can get you there. <laughs> like yeah. it's a better game script for him and not necessarily like a chase Claypool where he needs, he's the deep threat. And that's not what you want to be when Big Ben is your quarterback. <laughs> it's just not a good look for chase Claypool. And then I guess, you know, one receiver we didn't mention, I think it's just because he's priced a little bit abo above Zay Jones is Cedric Wilson. Yeah. So he's at 4,400. So I think that he's like the best cheap receiver again and going up a little bit from Zay Jones. You know, he's filled in for Michael Gallup throughout the season. He has a 25% target rate per route run since week 15. He's got at least 35 receiving yards in five of his last six starts. And the 49ers defense, again, it's been really banged up in the secondary, but specifically against slot receivers, which we see Cedric Wilson take over instead of seeing CeeDee Lamb in there when there is no Michael Gallup. 49ers ranked 29th in pass rating, 25th in catches allowed to slot wide receivers this season. So if you can't get up from Zay Jones, because I, I do think that we could see more from Renfro in the specific matchup. I do think it was kind of weird to see Renfro's just targets is like totally, you know, 
go to the wayside with Waller back. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Zay Jones's target share maybe decline a little bit because Waller is back and Waller is going to get targets, especially yeah. in this matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. So if I could finagle my way up to Cedric Wilson, I think he'd probably be my, I definitely have a lot more confidence in him uh, than Zay Jones this week. That's fair, and yeah, I mean, only two hundred more dollars. I think I think you can call Cedric the premier low-priced wide receiver if you still want to do that. Mid-priced, whatever, but he really has been making the most out of his opportunities all year long. That Chiefs game, I think, for him was rough, but it was rough for a lot of guys out there. And I think just what he's shown them. Uh, we'll see if the Cowboys can bring back Gallup on an injury discount, you know, after what's gone on there. But this is one of the you know top ten storylines I was kind of looking at ahead of this offseason because on the Cowboys roster, Ceedee Lamb is obviously locked in, number one receiver of the present and future but Cooper if they want to move on which maybe not with the Gallup thing and Coop's we know a very good receiver in his own right but they can save over 20 million against the cap if they release him after that June 1st and literally everybody else in the offense is an unrestricted free agent including Cedric Wilson so we'll see what happens there but there could be quite a bit of turnover in that Cowboys wide receiver room ahead of next year Another note I wanted to go with is, Andrew, we'll see kind of how the ownership shakes out on this. But I think that, you know, based on, which is fair, some of the matchups we're seeing, uh, you know, with the 49ers run game going against the Cowboys run defense that hasn't been doing much. I could see a lot of people, you know, trying to get to, not trying to get to, he's plenty affordable, but locking in Elijah Mitchell at 5,500. He should be getting 20 touches. That's all fine and great. Don't sleep on these receivers, though, because it might not be as sexy as other offenses, but Jimmy G in this 49ers passing game, man, they really have been humming for the majority of the year. Second in yards per attempt. EPA's top six. PFF passing grade is up there. Like, I get it. This is, you know, I was complaining to Dwayne on the on the podcast I did this morning, like, about uh, Schlereth hating on air yards. Like, air yards help us paint a great picture that can help us show why Jimmy G is not a top five quarterback, despite all these numbers that might suggest otherwise. But in fantasy, who gives a shit? We'll take the yards how we can get them. With that in mind, man, each of Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle, I think are more in play. And honestly, Kittle being down from 6,700 last week to 6K, that is just far too steep of a price decline. Debo's down 400 himself. I mean, Jimmy G only being $100 more than Big Ben, that is an insult, my friend. So let's make sure that, you know, we got Trent Williams, you know, doing his thing. And it does look like uh, Sanu will be back out there. So getting healthy, hopefully at the right time in the highest game total of the week so again Andrew I could see the allure of you know stacking some of these different offenses that we know are going to be a little more pass happy maybe it's a little bit more of a defined pecking order at you know in, in the passing game with that said man I think something like Jimmy G Kittle and Debo it could be a stack that we know is the upside but it's going a little bit more under the radar than you might expect no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Garoppolo, when I sent you over, you know, my notes, you know, I put, you know, <laughs> Jimmy G question mark with, you know, next to the GPP because I'm thinking, hey, like, I think that he's actually in play here yeah. as a tournament quarterback. You know, he's really cheap, especially in a week where you can leave a little bit of salary on the table just because you want to play the best players and you don't necessarily need to spend up all of your salary. You know, his price discrepancy is significantly different from everybody else. And the biggest thing is, like, you know who to stack him with. Like, that's what I'm, you know having trouble with a lot of these quarterbacks where, you know, I love Dak on the other side, but it's like, okay, so then who are you stacking him with? Because there's like five different guys you can do it with. And what are the chances that you're going to hit on the right guys? You know, look at the target share with lamb Cooper, Dalton Schultz, like nobody has more than a 20% target share of the last four weeks. So you're trying to figure out like which guy to play. And it's really tough, especially because none of them really had blown up. It's because it's been so spread out between all of the different Cowboys receivers where, where 49ers, like we know who the two top dogs are. You know, it's Debo Samuel, 
and it's George Kittle. And I think that this matchup too, you look at the Dallas defense, they rank 31st in yards after the catch allowed per reception this season. Kyle Shanahan, his bread and butter, we all know, is yak. <laughs> it is yards after the catch. And especially, I think Kittle is really the guy I want yeah. to hone in on the most. because Everywhere. Yeah, because he's had the couple, the down games, you know, especially even last week too, where the targets were there for him last week. He had a, a major target share boost. He had in receiving yards like that that just sticks out as such an outlier performance where it's like how is that even possible like the king of yards per route <laughs> run like just like totally floundered in this matchup so you know that's what i was something i'm trying to pick up on is just these outlier performances where that doesn't make any sense so i would expect that to regress to the mean the dallas defense 29th yards after the catch per reception to tight ends specifically and when you look at how they actually defend tight ends that line up in line so, so like a George Kittle, where he's not really operating as a Darren Waller player or like a Kyle Pitts, where he's out in the slot, he's out wide. He's actually in in line much more often. And that's where Dallas has given up the most production to tight ends. Fourth in completions, third in targets to tight ends, which is actually very similar to the Eagles. So I know that the Gronk is going to be like the major play here as long as like the weather can stay um, decent in Tampa Bay. And it makes sense. The Eagles are the worst team against tight ends. Yeah. but there's a scenario where Kittle just outdoes Gronk because the matchup really, when you're looking at where they line up is actually really good for Kittle as well. I just think that the roster ship projection is not necessarily going to portray that. So Kittle, yeah, absolutely love him this week. If there ever is a week to go to tight end, I mean, this Oh is yeah, hundred percent. Any of Kelsey, Gronk, Kittle, let's get contrarian with Waller. Dalton Schultz doesn't have Gallup to worry about. Zach Ertz is the number one target in Arizona. Hell, Goddard <laughs> and Frymouth. Like you can talk yourself into literally like each of the top 10 tight ends. So like, look at all these just great tight ends making it into the playoffs. Great day to be a great tight end. Uh, so we need to keep an eye on what's going on in Kansas City. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did not practice on Thursday. He is still coming back from the shoulder injury. Daryl Williams remains limited with his toe. So we'll see kind of what's going on there. But to see that downgrade from Clyde, that certainly would indicate that he could be on the wrong side of questionable, whereas Daryl could end up being out there. I think whoever, and if Clyde's out there, based on what we saw last time, I would expect him to lead the way. Last time he came back from his injury, he came right in, had 14 touches in a game where Daryl only had six. Maybe we hear some more stuff near game time about this actually being, you know, an emergency only type situation. They did do that last year with that illness in like week 14 or whatever it was. So if Clyde's, it'd probably be ideal if Clyde's out because then Andrew, we really could sink our teeth into Daryl Williams against the league's single worst defense in yards before carry, yards before contact allow for carry. I've messed it up like three times today. Uh, we know Daryl has that receiving role that like we've always wanted them to give to CEH, but they just decided to give to Daryl instead. And like, my goodness, man, they're 12 and a half point out favorites. Like as uh, I was telling Dwayne, like the only way I can really see Pittsburgh like making this a game and maybe covering or winning is because the NFL is so random and weird sometimes that like, yeah, I guess this could happen. The Jaguars just beat the Colts. Why couldn't the Steelers hang around a little bit? But quantifiably, I, I can't freaking do it, man. So really keep an eye on Daryl because when you look at these 5K running backs, Leonard Fournette at 5.9, Singletary 5.7, Mitchell 5.5, Sony 5.4, I think they all probably should be projected higher than these guys, but it's a 
six game slate. And we got to just be contrarian sometimes with this and take the running back that isn't projected as high, but we know still has the potential for multiple touchdowns. So good note from uh, TJ Hernandez, who's been on this podcast before, uh, does great work over at 444.com. But he mentioned how on his research, the average salary left on the table in two game slates is about $400 in your lineup. On main slates, you rarely see winners have more than $200 on the table. So this is like one of those things that I just want to stress because if you're building your lineup and you have, you know, 5.9K left, like, okay, your first instinct is just to get Leonard Fournette there because Leonard Fournette is the better play than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and you, you're not used to leaving that salary on the table. But on these smaller slates, that's one of the easiest way to differentiate your lineup is to purposely leave that salary on your table, particularly if you're not taking the biggest jump off ever. I'm not saying go from like Leonard Fournette to Boston Scott. I'm saying go from Leonard Fournette to whoever is the starting running back for the Kansas City freaking Chiefs. So I do think, you know, again, playing that right in tournament and embracing some of that uncertainty, Andrew, could pay some dividends. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think that taking advantage of late swap makes a lot of sense too, especially yeah. if you are playing over the six games. You know, I've thought, I've had ideas of just fading, you know, the Saturday games altogether. Like I'm not going to play anybody on, on Saturday and just build my lineups based on Sunday and based on all the, inf- so I have all this information at my disposal based on what happened in Saturday's game. So if there's no like standout player that I should have an edge over all those teams that played guys on Saturday, where now I can now make my lineups based on the Sunday matchups. And, and honestly, like I don't love the, the Saturday games in particular. You know, we have the, the Bengals and Raiders game, which I think that isn't necessarily super enticing. It just really depends on if, if, if we get Joe Burrow 500 passing yards, like that's really how you get buried by that game. <laughs> but you know, the, the bills and Patriots, I just, you know, this, this weather thing is just not something that in, is in, indicative of or suggesting of a high scoring affair where we have, you know, on Sat or on Sunday, we have games in domes and on Monday night, we have a game in a dome. Like we don't need to get, you know, super weird. It's like, look, like there are plenty of ways to get contrarian within a game that's inside a dome. And I'm just like thinking about like, what would it, like, how would the Cardinals or Cowboys or any of these dome teams play if they had to go to Buffalo and like play in zero degree weather? I just like cannot imagine like the insanity that they have to go through trying to prepare for that game. Whereas you at least have the Patriots and Bills who are two teams that are used to playing in the cold weather, but you know, we got uh, Bart Scott giving a very, you know, interesting advice to Josh Allen about how he should, you know, <laughs> stay loose and <laughs> stay loose on the sideline because apparently the dude's like feet are freezing or whatever, like when he's playing in these games. So uh, I think that's another way to look at it. Um, just from a game theory perspective is, you know, really leverage a late swap and use it to your advantage, especially if you really, if you're, if you're like torn between two players, you just take the guy that's playing later because then you're going to have more information to work with. Yeah, speaking of some of that weather in Philly, Tampa, that seems to be the big one to worry about. We need to see when the wind and rain is really going to be coming. Uh, you know, again, neither, none of us are meteorologists here, but we're trying to take what we can from those folks. It does seem like there's a chance that, you know, things could be worse in the pregame than when it starts. Either way, there are going to be winds up to 20 mile per hour with a chance to gust to around 30 at some point on Sunday afternoon. Certainly not ideal. Also in Cincy and Buffalo don't have quite the same level of wind risk, but the temperatures are going to be well below freezing when we kick off. So yes, Andrew, certainly feel a little bit better about, you know, just embracing uh, the dome life. I did think it was pretty funny. Uh, Mina Kimes had a great uh, tweet that spurned, you know, a lot of people, including myself, to add, uh, you know, our two cents where basically she was saying like, what's kind of the goofiest uh, change you wish you could make the NFL that you actually kind of think uh, could 
you know, improve the game. Let me get her exact words. What's your goofiest sports take that you actually kind of believe? Hers was if the Bills want to truly get the most out of Josh Allen, they got to build a dome, which I thought was uh, pretty hilarious because if you do look at Josh, hasn't been the world's best quarterback, you know, when he has actually been dealing with these high winds and uh, low temperature, which I get it. Surprising. You would think a guy that can throw the ball out of the football stadium would be built for that type of weather. But in fact, you know, he's been better in the dome, probably because every quarterback is better in the dome. Why the hell wouldn't you be so final main overall point i want to go with andrew i think it kind of dives into that tight end discussion we were having but like zach Ertz is a number one receiver at this point you look at them in three games without deandre hopkins Ertz has 42 targets christian kirk 32 aj green 25 antron wesley 19 chase edmonds 15 james connor eight nobody else more than four so no rondale moore hasn't been in there and maybe that has allowed Ertz to play some more snaps in the slot than usual but with that said man he really has looked good during his time in arizona and he's kind of due for what the kids would call positive touchdown regression so i do think Ertz, you know sitting down there was the only 4700 like this is one of those things like if you want to look at everyone's salary and like projected targets i mean i was talking we're talking about cedric and and zay jones who are probably going to be the number three options in their passing game like they're only a couple hundred cheaper zach Ertz at 4700 man again if you just take the salary divided by projected targets i think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that is a better value than zach Ertz. so with this one you know based on the spread you would think the cardinals might have to be playing from behind a little bit and this is the Rams weakness like great secondary because of Jalen Ramsey but he can't cover everyone so they're 10th in yards per attempt allowed to targets aligned out wide 24th when they're aligned in the slot though 22nd in line so if you are going to attack this Cardinals offense which is fair we know Kyler Murray can win a slate uh, you know anytime he's out there he gets a rushing touchdown or two ball game over but it should, should look like Zach Ertz and Christian Kirk both from a volume and a matchup standpoint are the guys we should be targeting in Arizona yeah, I agree that those are the guys I was gravitating towards because I think I like Murray a lot. You know, if you're playing um, on that particular slate, you're including the Monday night game against the the Los Angeles Rams. I think that Colin Murray, look, like you want to have the mobile quarterbacks and, and that's kind of what it came down to. You know, I like Dak a lot, but, you know, question marks about whether or who I'm going to stack him with. He doesn't run as much as the other guys. And we see an uptick in, in mobility from all these players in the playoffs because they know that it's, it's win or go home. Like, so you want to be betting overs on all of these quarterback rushing lines when they come out because chances are the quarterbacks are going to run because there's no holding back. It's the playoffs. It's win and go home. So I think that that's something to kind of keep in mind if you're really debating between, you know, a pocket passer like a Brady. Well, you know, maybe you, you actually embrace the, the mobility of one of these mobile quarterbacks a little bit more and also keep that in mind when you're stacking like you don't yeah. need to double stack a mobile quarterback I, I, especially on DraftKings because of the ppr scoring you don't need that you know the ppr scoring and double stack that's why brady's such a good quarterback to double stack because he just throws the ball so many times every pass attempt you know results in a completion which you get a point for you know it's not the same in fandor or these other half point ppr sites so you know, embrace these mobile quarterbacks. I think value them a little bit higher, especially uh, now the postseason's kicking off. Couple other notes just to hit on before we move on to a little bit of player prop discussion. This Eagles offense is interesting, Andrew, because when they played the Buccaneers earlier this year, that was two weeks before they started making their true, like just 
completely switching around their offense to become this run first unit. So in that game, we didn't really see them, you know, attempt to really go against, you know, this brick wall that has been the Buccaneers front seven for most of the year. But again, since then, the Eagles have really turned into not only the most run heavy offense, but a very productive uh, run heavy offense as well. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay, like, okay, they've, they're probably getting Levante David back this week. We'll see. He is practicing. Uh, you know, he's opening up that window and everything. But I mean, this was a group, I guess the Patriots in week four, like the Buccaneers gave, gave up negative one rushing yards. Like we were just completely fading running backs against these guys for weeks. But you look at over the past five games, 173 rushing yards to the Buffalo Bills, 150 to the New York Jets, 110 to a Carolina Panthers team that is, what the hell were they doing in week 18, you know? So I do think that based on some of this weather, based on Miles Sanders hopefully being back and ready to take back, you know, his lead back workload, where how many times can I say back in one sentence? Jesus. But um, with Sanders, like when he came back from injury before, even if they were playing Scott and uh, Jordan Howard as well, Sanders was still leaned on really as the feature back, seeing those 20 plus touches. So, Andrew, like we don't usually stack quarterbacks with running backs, but at the same time with Philly, based on them already being as run heavy as they are, based on the conditions, and maybe facing a lesser version of this Buccaneers front seven, Hurts and Sanders, man, they could combine for like 35 rush attempts. I mean, if I if I were to pick any, it's it's weird for me to say this, but if I could pick any upset. You know, it, it would honestly be Eagles over Bucks. Like it's, it's crazy to think that. And you know, again, it's it's. But upsets happen in the wild card round, and against Tom Brady, it's really weird to try to bet against him. But you know, the fact that the weather is now potentially playing into the Eagles' favor, yeah. and you you talk about the Buccaneers and their run defense. You know, something interesting I kind of found out. You know, doing some research on this game is, you know, their explosive run rate allowed the season. The Buccaneers, sixteen percent, ranks last in the league. Like they give up the not, highest not, not rate great. of explosive rushes. And that's because, and part of that is because they put so much emphasis on, you know, getting negative yardage to those running backs that they give up big plays because of that. They over pursue. And then that gets, you know, running backs out in space into big plays. And like that's all Miles Sanders does is, is run big plays. Cause he doesn't score touchdowns. He doesn't catch <laughs> passes. <laughs> like we, we know those two things. So like getting Sanders back, especially now that he's not dealing with a lower body injury, like it's a hand injury. So um, if he plays, I think that he is really interesting in tournaments at 5,100. I don't think a lot of people are going to play him because you see Bucks and you're like, now, like, you know, take him out of my player pool. But the, the the Buccaneers give up a lot of explosive runs. And particularly when you mentioned, you know, against the Jets, against the um, the Bills, you know, we saw a lot of rushing from the quarterbacks. You know, Josh Allen, I believe, had over 100 rushing yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So. Yeah. Hertz is going to be involved and in, in really like you're stacking Hertz and Miles Sanders together because you're just betting on, well, I think the Eagles are going to overpower this Buccaneers run defense. You look at PFF's offensive defensive line matchup chart. Who's the number one matchup advantage this week? Eagles over the Buccaneers defensive line. So there's a lot weighing in the favor. And if the Eagles are running the ball effectively, Brady's not on the field. Like, and that's how you beat Brady. You don't beat Brady because your defense is good. Like that's not going to happen. Like you beat Brady if he's not on the field, like that's how they win. And, it just kind of shaping up like a game script where you could see them kind of running the football effectively, overwhelming them and keeping Brady off the field. And, and that's how they come away with the win. So uh, count me in on the Eagles plus whatever it is, plus nine or whatever their favorite for or, or underdogs by. But yeah, I think Hertz in DFS is, is a really awesome play. 
man, so, yeah, some of these running back prices, like that's the point I'm trying to, I was trying to make with the Chiefs guys too, because they're almost daring you just to play Fournette, Mixon, and even like Elijah Mitchell with some of the price drops. Like Mixon at 6,800, he hasn't been under 7K since October. Elijah Mitchell was 6K last week when we didn't even know if he was going to be out there taking his usual workload. Leonard Fournette, like, bro, he was 7,600 the last time he was expected to go out there being the starting running back. He's now 5,900 and Ronald Jones probably isn't even going to be playing. So just, again, if you want to look at this rationally, then you'd be hard-pressed to not rank these guys as your top three. And in cash games, go right ahead. But tournaments, it's a six-game slate. Weird stuff happens. That's why you got to get off some of these guys. So, Andrew, any final kind of thoughts here? Again, you, you have your uh, DFS cheat sheet out for everyone on Friday, correct? Yep, yep. That was coming out. That's out on Friday. So it has kind of my thoughts feelings emotions about every single player that i kind of think is in play here uh, i know we didn't really talk about i guess if you want to hit on defense i don't really have any other takes on any of the other players i'm just kind of looking over my list here i think we kind of hit on most of the guy i mean i think there's like fournette though in particular i feel like he just could catch again like so many passes in this game the eagles third most yeah. receptions allowed to running backs he was already at i mean the dude was averaging like eight targets a game I and know. that was with antonio brown and chris godwin in the offense so I, I mean, Fournette, we'll, we'll talk about in the props, but, you know, pounding whatever his receiving thing is over, especially if the weather is bad. It's like just going to be dumped up, dump offs from Brady 24 uh, 7 to Lombardi Lenny. So, yeah, uh, in terms that, of the looking at the defense real quick, uh, you can always check out my mismatch manifesto on pff.com. One of the things I uh, do is I combine the pressure rate from the offensive line with the defensive line, try to, you know, find out where the freaking mismatches are, hence the name of the article. And really, the Sunday. From San Fran on, I don't think we should be targeting really any of those defenses. I know it might be tempting to fire up the Chiefs at Arrowhead and, you know, maybe they do wreak havoc and everything. But, like, the one thing that Big Ben does, I don't even want to say well, but he, he does do it, is get rid of the ball as quick <laughs> as possible. Like, he has the fastest release time in the league. And because of that, they've only allowed the third highest pressure rate um, in the NFL, despite that being a bad offensive line. So, like, with Ben, he still makes turnover-worthy plays for sure. I'm not saying that can't happen, but he almost just like he'll, you know, he'll throw a dump off to Najee and lose four yards before he's actually going to stand in there and take a sack or lose the fumble that you're hoping for. So I think, and based on again these pressure numbers, the big three defenses to potentially look at the Buccaneers. I agree with Andrew. If there had to be an underdog that we had to really, really ride with, I think the Eagles are certainly capable. With that said, if Brady and company can get up two scores early in this game. We're going to have a lot of Jalen Hurts dropping back, and he's going to be doing it against the number one defense in the NFL and Havoc. Like, you know, you said it, Andrew. They're always trying to create these negative plays. That is what we look for in a fantasy defense. So if you want to throw in some rain and bad weather into that, I think the Buccaneers defense makes a lot of sense. Just really try to be careful with your correlations uh, with that. And then also, I think this opening game, the Raiders and the Bengals, could even go both ways, man. Look, it's hard to look at Joe Burrow over these past two weeks and think of he's anything other than one of the best quarterbacks in the game. We do have a slightly longer sample on his NFL career, and we've seen games this year where he takes a shit ton of sacks. You look at the Chargers game in week 13. He took six sacks. Next week against the 49ers, he took five. Hell, over the past three weeks, he's taken three, three, and four sacks in these games. If Max Crosby and company, if they want any chance of winning, it's going to come down to them beating the piss out of that offensive line and really forcing them into these you know long down 
out and distance situations where you would think they can tee off on them. So I do like the Raiders uh, defense and trying to get a little contrarian there because, again, I think what's sticking in everyone's mind is how damn explosive these Bengals have been over the past few weeks. And on the flip side of things, I think the Bengals obviously against Derek Carr and Trey Hendrickson. They should be able to wreak some havoc as well. I'm just a little, you know, with Carr, we do see him kind of have a little more of a Rossberger to his game, be able to get rid of the ball uh, quicker. I don't think he's quite as prone uh, to some of those boneheaded plays. So I would say Raiders and Tampa Bay defenses, top two of the week. Yeah, I like the the Raiders DST. I, I talked about them for the kind of the same reasons you mentioned. I think if you're playing like only the Saturday slate, if you just need a cheap defense, you know, if you're playing cash games like the Patriots, it makes sense. Just like, it's, it's going to probably be not a, a super high-scoring game. You know, Josh Allen can sometimes go too too far ahead of himself and, yeah. and turn the ball over. So, And the Patriots have a good defense. Like We talk about this all the time. Like Last week, Miami was a good play because they well, they were at home, number one, and they're just a good defense. So I think the Patriots, they're a good defense, and they're cheap. I think they make sense. And then the same thing with the Rams. Like, why are the Rams cheaper than the Cardinals? <laughs> I get like Matthew Stafford throws picks like left and right, but the Rams are favored at home, and they're cheaper than the defense that they're playing, which doesn't make any sense. So... Rams DST, again, a real-life good defense at home. I actually like the Rams more than the Patriots. I think they're like $100 more. They get $2,800, $2,700 on the six-game slate. So, yeah, uh, I think that the Rams make a ton of sense. Uh, they're playing on uh, Monday night. Is Matt Stafford getting a little too much shit from everybody? I mean, they just went 12-5. and five. He threw 41 touchdowns, like 4,800 yards. He led the league in interceptions. I understand. That's not ideal. But I feel like everyone's like, what's the difference between Stafford and like 2018 Jared Goff? And it's like, well, that's a fair point. But Jared Goff like hasn't always been terrible, man. So I, I don't know. I guess it's probably partially PFF's doing, adding some context so we aren't just going <laughs> off of uh, passing touchdown numbers. But I was just surprised looking through some of the stuff this week. Like, damn, Stafford really did put up uh, some high-quality numbers. For Tom Brady, we're using those high-quality numbers as a uh, MVP case. For the love of God, I'm not trying to compare Stafford to Tom Brady. Just saying. Remember to have some context with everything we do. Andrew, you have a ton of props for the people. Quickly, though, I do want to direct everyone to our player prop tool on pff.com where you can actually get our projections versus the props on the market. And we actually just tell you the straight up edge that you'll be getting with them. And I hope you like quarterback rushing totals because Lord knows we have a bunch of them. I'm just going to read off again our bets that have over a 10% edge in their direction, depending on your book, you know, your bookie, whoever the hell you used to put your bets down. I know it can be, uh, you know, different. You might not have all these available, but if you do, it might just be a great day to be great. So Jimmy Garoppolo over two and a half rushing yards. We have a 20.3% edge on that one. Tom Brady over two and a half passing touchdowns at plus 158. Love that. 19.4% edge. Keep an eye on the weather, but I do like that. Tom Brady over one and a half rushing yards. You have not lived until you have bet the over on quarterback <laughs> rushing yards, people. It is just so electric when you see them take off on that third and long and pick up like four yards. Chase Claypool under three and a half receptions. You're getting plus odds on that. You know, we'll see about the volume, but especially if Juju comes back, might not be a bad idea. Kyle Juszczyk over seven and a half receiving yards. Who wouldn't love to bet on the fullback? Debo Samuel under 28 and a half rushing yards. That's a pretty gaudy line, man. And it could be a situation, I think, where we see Sam Fran forced to pass a little more than we're used to. Cameron Brait under one and a half receptions at plus 140 odds. Love that. Elijah Mitchell over eight and a half receiving yards. Uh, Zach Ertz under four and a half receptions at plus money. Patrick Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns. And finally, Ben Roethlisberger under 0.5 interceptions if you're feeling absolutely 
crazy out there on Sunday. Andrew, last week, one and one. The Cowboys inexplicably left Zeke in for like the whole yeah. game. And and I mean, well, and also Tony Pollard was ruled out before we got to even talk about it. So I think that that was more of a unlucky case of you not having all the information at your disposal. By the time it went out, you were able to nail Stefan Diggs going relatively bonkers and at least went over that 65 and a half receiving yard prop. So let's get into it. What do you got for the people? Yeah, I mean, that's why they call it uh, gambling. I took a gamble hoping that Zeke wouldn't, wouldn't play that much. And, and oh, that's I got why Zeke they against, call it that. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and instead, I got Zeke uh, against backup running back, or backup defenders and second stringers. <laughs> so, of course, he was going to have his like best game since like week five. Um, but I digress because I'm going right back to Zeke under. Um, and there's a, and I want to be specific about these lines. So again, I, a lot of the, the props I talk about are on prize picks. I will mention a, a couple on underdog, which also has some pickums. Underdog was a friend of the show and uh, our sponsor in 2022 as a spoiler alert. They will be uh, talked about on the show in uh, later episodes. But uh, so Zeke's rushing yards prop on underdogs at 55 and a half. It's at 47 and a half on prize picks. So obviously you want to get, you know, if you're taking the under, you want to take the higher line. It just, so yeah, I'm going with Zeke under 55 and a half rushing yards it's higher than it was last week and it's basically for all the same reasons i took the under last week he hasn't you know eclipsed that since you know the beginning of the season you no know, tony pollard should be coming back so i do think that elliot under 55 and a half rushing yards fortnite's run defense is legit like sony michelle had 21 carries last week and didn't even get 50 rushing yards yeah, like cam Akers got not, shut down too <laughs> zeke is not going to be moving whatsoever um against a defense that's actually trying you know I, I pointed out specifically in my article this week that he's actually gonna be playing starters and guys we know about in the nfl and not backups on the eagles <laughs> so i'm um, going back to the zeke i'm not afraid about no no ptsd for me on zeke i'm going under <laughs> on zeke for his rushing yards um on prize picks some other ones again you know keep an eye out on just bills and patriots things that are still kind of floating in the ethers um you know most of them have been bet down significantly since you know the start of the week just because of the weather and people are more informed but some of the ones that have kind of new that have come out you're specifically on receptions over on prize picks so um chase claypool you know you just mentioned he was at three and a half uh you can get him at four on prize picks so i think that's a really easy one and then what you can do what's cool in the player props tool is you can adjust the lines based on your odds and based on the number itself so you can actually do it and it'll calculate the edge so you know if i go in and adjust chase claypool to four receptions and now the edge goes to 23.3 percent as opposed to 16 percent at 3.5 so it just makes it even better you can be like oh man this is even much better of a bet um so i think chase claypool under four receptions makes sense jalen rager under 12 and a half receiving yards i don't know i don't even know why they put out lines on rager because <laughs> the dude just like isn't involved in the offense whatsoever i know he played more last week because the eagles backups were playing but that's what i'm saying like He's like a backup at this point. Like he's still running behind guys like Quez Watkins now. You know, the Eagles, as we've talked about, they could just run the ball the entire time. And we have weather concerns. I mean, look, Rager, I mean, if I lose to Jalen Rager, okay, you know, shame on me. But it's like, I feel like I'm betting on an under for J.J. Arcega Whiteside. You know, they're just like. <laughs> he has multiple, multiple games with negative receiving <laughs> yards. I'm not counting his other multiple goose eggs, man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Jalen Rager, he has not denied me yet in taking his under, so I'm going to go under on Jalen Rager. It's a 12 and a half receiving yards, but honestly, whatever number you can get is is, is fair game. It's more, it's more he really should be at like zero. Is <laughs> really sure his his over under should be at, and then probably a more bold one here. The last one on Prize Picks I'll talk about. Actually, this is one you can parlay because Prize Picks you need to pick at least two guys. So Jacobs over three receptions. 
Jamar Chase under five receptions. The Bengals are a, you know, RB funnel defense in terms of giving receptions to the running back. Jacobs has been one of the more involved pass catchers in his offense. He's really taken on a larger role in the receiving game. So I like him over three receptions, Jamar Chase, Look, man, like he just absolutely, if you, you fade Jamar Chase, you get buried sometimes, but it's because of the explosive big plays he makes. Like he yeah. doesn't, he hasn't even led his team in target share when T Higgins has been on the field. He, he's not necessarily mm-hmm. a guy that vacuums up a lot of targets. And we look at the Raiders, their strengths are against the pass. Like they've been really good at limiting explosive plays this year. They're actually second in explosive play play around or the fewest explosive plays allowed per drop back. So I think Jamar Chase, he's kind of an interesting guy to potentially fade in, in DFS this week. Um, especially because he does play on the first game. So at least you'll know, like, from after the first game, well, I faded Chase and that worked, or it didn't. All right, now I can spend my weekend doing something else. <laughs> so I kind of like just like rip the band aid off, fade Chase, see what happens, and then you can move on with the rest of your weekend. And the last one here is okay. Yeah. So that's it for prize picks. Um, underdog, I know I mentioned Zeke, the under there. It's also at 47 and a half on, on prize picks. So if you don't want to switch platforms, it's, I think it's still a good number there. I bet it on prize picks as well. Uh, Mac Jones is still at 207 passing yards. Um, that's still just a too high of a number for Jones, you know, playing in Buffalo. Buffalo quarterbacks that have gone to Buffalo this season have averaged 140 passing yards. Um, I know that it's somewhat skewed because of the Mac Jones, whatever, 19-yard game. You take out that game, okay, it's 155 passing yards yeah. that opponents have averaged. They've been so, so good, man. They're number one in like every pass defense category you can find. Yeah, so yeah, you don't want any type of passing numbers. Again, it's going to be a run-heavy approach. That's what New England is going to be going into the game, what they want to do. The Bills' defense is definitely weaker against the run than the pass. Um, Pair that with Nelson Aguilar under 27 and a half. You know, again, any guy that, again, if you can find a receptions prop on him, I like that better just because he's not a, he's a, you know, he catches deep passes, but I just, I, I have reservations about guys with, you know, questionable hands catching balls in, you know, zero degree weather, you know, that ball hurts. You know, that's, I think Stefan Diggs was talking about that. I and mean, you know, that's why Josh Allen's numbers are down at home is because his receivers are like, dude, like take some heat off the ball. <laughs> You're like <laughs> killing my hands. I mean, think about it. Like Diggs played in a dome. Most of his career in Minnesota, Gabriel Davis played at Florida or a USC uh, university of central Florida. So you have a bunch of these guys that, you know, are used to kind of playing in warm weather and they're like, dude, like I, so like, it doesn't affect Josh Allen. You know, his arm strength can obviously overcome the elements, but I don't know if his receivers are necessarily built for, you know, Dawson Knox when he played at Buffalo against the Patriots, you know, he had that terrible game where he's like dropping passes left and right. So um, any like unders on receptions, I think that Kendrick Bourne is at three receptions. I think that's a solid underplay on the, for that Sunday night game, or excuse me, that Saturday night game, Bills, Patriots, Mike Evans under 76 and a half receiving yards. Darius Slay is one of the few cornerbacks I think can actually go toe-to-toe with Mike Evans. We talked about Fournette coming back. We talked about the Eagles are very strong on the perimeter. Third, fewest passing yards allowed to perimeter-wide receivers. And I just think it's going to be the Gronk Fest. You know, the Eagles are just really bad against running backs and really bad against tight ends. Like, that's where targets should funnel. And Evans, you know, even though there have been – there's no Godwin, there's no Antonio Brown, like, he still hasn't, like, captured, like, this massive target share really at any point all season. Like, even last week, it was Gronk that led the team in targets. Now, Evans is not necessarily a guy I would totally fade if the weather checks out because he catches touchdowns. Like, that's what he did last week, caught two touchdowns. So, I like him more on, like, DFS. But from, like, a yardage standpoint, I think you could see him going under here. So, he's at 76.5 on underdog. Yeah, those targets from last week were – 
pretty surprising. I know Gronk's incentives had a little something to do with it there, but Gronk, 10 targets. Evans, 7. Tyler Johnson, 7. Brashad Perryman, 6. Cam Brayton sneaking in there with 3 himself. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things too, Andrew. Like, you know, you've got back and you've given us a good amount of overs and, you know, unders as well. But I do think usually the sharper move is the under. Why? Because we all want to bet on overs. It's more fun to hope for things to happen than to hope for (laughs) things not to happen. But that could just be a little bit too high of a line. So good stuff. As always from you, Andrew, everyone can find your work on pff.com. We got the cheat sheet and plenty of other goodness throughout the week. Fantasy football rankings, buy low and sell high targets based on high value opportunities and looking at how to leverage pff routes run in nfl free agency and wildcard weekend dfs to go along with his best early super super wildcard weekend player props and bets so andrew appreciate you as always and appreciate you all you listeners out there tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast we'll be back friday afternoon talking all things injury ahead of playoff football we're here we made it i can't wait so for andrew i'm ian until next time take care everybody